James chapter 5. Let's start by reading verses 13 through uh, 16. James 5, 13 through 16, Lord willing. Then uh, next Sunday, we'll kind of cover part two of this passage, um, 17 and 18, and maybe through the end of the chapter. But uh, James 5, and starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Lord, we're thankful that even way back in the early church that you directed James uh, to write this passage, God, as you knew that uh, then and even now, Lord, we as humans have a, a, a lot of difficulty praying. We can do a lot of other things, Lord, first. We can worry first. We can uh, try to figure it out first on our own. But Lord, we often leave prayer as kind of a last-ditch effort. So, Lord, I pray that as we're challenged once again to really evaluate um, our our spiritual walk with you and as we look at characteristics of an authentic faith as presented in James, Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow in our commitment uh, to prayer. Lord, we pray that you would once again help those who may be watching online and can't join us in person this morning, that you would encourage them. I pray that uh, I would be faithful to proclaim your word. And God, I pray that you would give us uh, your wisdom, Lord, is uh, you, that you would illuminate our hearts and that we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand your word. God, I pray for pastors all over the nation, all over the world who have already met perhaps or Lord will be meeting depending on the time zone and that your word would be proclaimed uh, faithfully today and that some would come to know Christ as your Savior. Uh, others who already know you, Lord, would be challenged uh, to follow you as their shepherd and to uh, be encouraged in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> as I was studying for this message, and uh, I came across something that uh, John of Antioch, way back in the 4th century, so you probably won't hear many sermons from John of Antioch on a, on a modern you know, uh, podcast or anything like that, but he gave a description of prayer that I felt was, uh, was very powerful. So this is what he said. He said, the, the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, assuaged diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it all an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. You know, as you think about that, there's so much that we don't, Uh, take advantage of through prayer and it is difficult Uh, prayer is difficult as as simple as it is in a way I mean we can pray anytime we can pray anywhere we don't have to use specific words Uh, the Holy Spirit even helps us pray so on one side it seems like it's so simple yet as humans it's so difficult to set aside that time uh, and even to 
kind of resists the, the desire within us to think, no, we can handle it. I can, I can figure it out. I'm just going to push through. But James uses this passage here in James chapter 5 really to challenge us back uh, to a commitment to prayer. First of all, we see in James 5, 13, praying individually. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Now, it's an interesting question. Do you think James had an idea that there may be some in the midst who were suffering? Of course. I mean, you may remember that this, this comes right after, uh, two weeks ago we went through the passage that says, have patience in suffering, have patience in the midst of persecution, uh, James 5, 7 through 12. So James knew, yeah, there's a lot of people that are going to be reading this letter that are suffering or will soon be suffering. And the, the, the word that he uses for suffering here is both, it can both be an external hardship and can be an internal hardship. So it, it's a broad description of, are you struggling? Are you suffering? And then right after that, he comes with a direction of, okay, if you are, and I, and I believe many of you are, you know, he knows that. He says, let him pray. Let him pray. You know, a major emphasis of, his, of this entire letter was to have joy in the midst of persecution and to uh, withstand the test and trials and to be steadfast uh, Christian. But yet, oftentimes, instead of praying first, we worry first. Instead of praying first, we talk to other people about it first. Instead of praying first, we try to, you know, just frantically figure it out. I've got to just think more. I just have to be a little smarter have to be a little more strategic. But James says, no, first of all, pray. If you're suffering, take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, by making prayer a first response instead of a last-ditch effort, then we're, we're really recognizing, we're acknowledging, God, I trust that you're sovereign, and I look to you knowing that you are in control of everything and that I am dependent on you and your hand in my life. So prayer is really us humbly coming before him again as our father, just saying, Dad, I need help. Dad, I'm suffering. Father, give me wisdom. Lord, help me to, to be pointed again and refocused on Christ. Hebrews 11.1 1 reminds us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And that's when it's difficult oftentimes to pray is when we can't see it how it's all going to come together. We can't see how the, all the puzzle pieces are going to fit and what the big picture is going to look like. And so far, you know, we're, we're only seeing maybe a corner. And everything in that corner looks kind of bleak. But yet Hebrews reminds us that's, that's the whole idea of faith. That's the idea of praying to God and saying, yes, I will come before you because you're in control and you know all things. So when suffering, is anyone among you suffering? James says, let him pray. Then right after that, James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Now it's interesting as we look back even in James chapter 4, so one chapter before, uh, James 4 verse 13, it appears that not everyone who would read this letter was suffering at the present time. 
Because some were even saying, yeah, I'm going to go to this city and I'm going to go to that city and I'm going to sell and I'm going to make a profit. So it appears that some were facing persecution and one, some were facing intense suffering. But then others were making plans. So James, again, is addressing maybe some in that crowd and says, are you cheerful? Maybe your thing's going well for you. Well, then let him praise. It's right after that, it says in James 5, 13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. These are the kind of the two extremes. You know, when things aren't going well and we're suffering, the first tendency can be to be despair and like, God, where are you? And boy, I'm discouraged. It just doesn't seem like it should be the Christian life. That's one extreme. Then the other extreme is when things are going well to think, I've got to figure it out. I think I've got this thing under control. Life is kind of going like I'd planned. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of smart. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty decent guy. But James says, no, if you're suffering, then pray. But if things are going well and you're cheerful, well, then sing praise. Because it's not your, just your intelligence. It's not your wisdom that have, have made things go well. Even earlier in James, in James 1.17, we're reminded that God alone is the father of lights from whom we, we receive every good gift. So whatever good we, you know, we receive and we experience, although we may be tempted to think, well, I've worked hard for this. Well, I've really put in some hard time. Well, I made some commitments early on and now I'm reaping the benefits. Yeah, but who helped you make those commitments? Who gave you the strength to study? Who gave you the, the money to first invest in that way? Or who gave you the health to do this or that? God. So all the way back, every single thing, that good thing that we have received is a good gift from the Father of lights. He, in that same passage, he reminds us that God alone is the only one with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So because of that, when we're cheerful, when things are going well, then not only should we pray when we're suffering, but we should pray in praise when things are going well and say, God, thank you. I don't deserve it. It's, this is not just my own doing, but I want to I praise you. I'm thankful. Prayer is just another way, really. It's another element of biblical prayer. We see this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and then notice this, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's not our tendency. My tendency is when I'm suffering, my tendency is to come to God and say, God, help me. God, I, I'm, I'm weak. God, I, I'm, I'm tired. God, this is frustrating. God, I don't see how this is all going to come together. But the Lord reminds us and through the writings of Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't be anxious about anything. And in contrast, as you pray, do it with thanksgiving. So giving praise is another element of biblical prayer. We see this also in Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And then it says being watchful in it. Being watchful in prayer. How? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And so, you know, as we enjoy different successes in life, this isn't, these are awesome opportunities to not only remind ourselves 
where the good gift has come. It's from the Father of lights, you know, who give the, good, the, the giver of every good gift. But it's also an awesome opportunity to remind others of who gave us the gift. So as people maybe say, you know, hey, congratulations for this, or hey, well done, say, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm thankful to God. To Him be the glory. And sometimes as Christians, those expressions can become trite and, you know, we can, it just kind of rolls off our tongue. But may we remind ourselves on a daily basis, yes, I am thankful. God, I do want to praise you. Thank you for the breath that you've given me. Thank you that, I'm, that I woke up. Thank you that I have strength to be able to, to read or to, to study or to work or go to school and to give praise. Let him who's cheerful, let him sing praise. I, it was interesting as we sang one of the last hymns and it talked about where in heaven we won't have the supplication aspect of prayer any longer. It's just going to be all about praise. I don't think we're going to be coming to God and saying, you know, God, you know, I, I'd really like to ask you in my mansion, there's a couple things I'd like you to kind of improve upon. No, it's going to be all just praise and thanksgiving to him. May we practice that already now. And as we have opportunities to sing praise, that we would do it with all of our heart. Not worry about, you know, am I, am I singing the best right on tune? Am I singing the harmony? Am I singing the melody? But just to sing with a thankful heart because of what God has done for us. Praying individually. And then we come to James five fourteen and 15. Praying with the elders. Praying with the elders or the pastors. James 5 and verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I, I want to encourage you to, we're going to dig a little deep this morning in this passage because this is a difficult passage to interpret 100%. And as I studied a lot this past week and as I prayed and asked God for wisdom, uh, I've certainly read this passage many times in my life, but preaching through it, like God helped me to represent well the text and what James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meant for us today. So, there's some interpretation challenges in this passage. First question we have in James 5 verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Now I think your notes have as the passage um, James 5:15a, but it's actually James 5:14a. Is anyone among you sick? Now, if if we interpret that as what we understand in English as sick, as physically sick, then there's some there's some difficulties. It's not impossible to interpret the rest of the passage, but there are some difficulties that come up like, okay, is anyone among you sick? And then it says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Oh. I mean, just taking at face value, it would be easy to think, okay, well, if anybody's sick, then just have the elders come and pray and that'll be the end of that. I mean, we don't, who needs Wellstar? Uh, who needs Ambetter anymore? Or who needs, you know, Blue Star, uh, Blue, Blue Star, Blue Cross, Blue Shield? Who needs those things? Uh, just call the pastors, call the elders. So that there are some difficulties, that, but it's possible that that truly is the best translation. Now, this word 
in Greek can, can both mean physically sick as well as weary or weak. So I want to present to you some kind of ideas that would favor uh, both translations and then uh, pray that God would give us wisdom to know uh, which one to, to, to follow. But some of the, the factors that seem to favor a meaning of physical sickness is that in addition to this verse, the Greek word uh, is translated sick 18 other times in the New Testament. So there are many other occasions in the New Testament where this same Greek word is translated as physic, a physical sickness. We also just kind of in translation history, almost all of the other English translations have adopted the translation of the English word sick for this Greek word instead of weak or weary. So there's certainly a historical, uh, some historical background, but yet we also understand that there's limitations when you translate from one language into another. Um, So it's interesting to, to, to think about, well, could it be that the best translation instead of sick would be to be weary or be weak? So there's some factors that would favor that translation. And some of the factors that is there are 14 times where this same Greek word is translated as weary or weak. In the epistles or in the letters of the New Testament of Paul and Peter, uh, there's 14 or 13 times rather uh, that it is translated as weary or weak. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. And the Greek word here is asthene. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, same word that's translated as sick in James 5, 14, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, the same root word that we see in James uh, 14, 1, we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, we see this word weak even in the connotation of, of temptation and uh, the, the opportunity for someone to, to choose, you know, to, uh, sin. So it says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not in, indignant? So there are many other You know, there's 18 times where it's translated as physical sickness in the New Testament. Most of those are in the Gospels. And then there's uh, 14 times that it's translated as uh, weary or weak in the epistles. Uh, 13 of those are in the epistles. One is in the book of Acts. So there's a possibility that the best translation here in, in James 5, 14a would be, is anyone among you weary? Is anyone among you weak? It does seem to fit better the context. James 5, 7 through 12 is talking about being patient in, in, uh, in suffering and persecution. So it seems to, right following that, it seems to, to follow, you know, are, are some of you weary from the persecution? Are some of you weak from just facing this opposition? 
It seems to fit the context. Look with me also, though, in James 5, 15, okay? James 5, 15. So I'll start in verse 14 to get context, and then we'll go back into, uh, we'll continue on then in verse 15. Is anyone among you sick? So that's, that word sick is the Greek word that we've kind of been looking at in different usages. Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, notice verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now this is a different Greek word, okay? Same, same in English, but a different Greek word. There's only two occurrences in the New Testament here in James 5.15 and then the other one in Hebrews. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. So probably in your Bible, back a few pages or on your phone, uh, scrolling up a little bit to go back to Hebrews, the book right before James, Hebrews chapter 12. And let's start in verse 1, but we'll focus in on verse 3. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then notice verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So that's the second and only other occurrence of the word sick in James 5, 15. And here in Hebrews, it's translated as weary or faint-hearted. Back in James if we were to understand James 5:14a, you know, is anyone among you sick? If we were to understand that and in the, in the idea of it is anyone among you weary or weak, it also seems to fit better with the end of James 5. Notice with me in James 5:19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If the main idea here was directed towards the Christians who were weary, who had become weak because of persecution and the opposition, then James 5, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, if anyone among you, you know, are, are weak or weary and you've, you've, you're tempted to kind of give up, you're tempted to not continue to follow Christ as you should. So it's possible that uh, that fits better with James 5, 19 and 20. It would also, in this, in this understanding, would also help the, under, the interpretation of James, of the promise in James 5, 15. When it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. If it's a physical sickness, um, at face value, it appears that it's just blanketly saying, yeah, I mean, the elders pray, the the pastors pray, then there's going to be healing and they're going to get better. If the main idea is that it's a, a spiritual weakness, a spiritual weariness, then for sure, then for sure that we know that God is capable uh, as someone comes humbly before the Lord and, uh, you know, asks the pastors to pray for him and is open to biblical counsel, that, that there is a guarantee 
then in every instance, someone who is spiritually weak, someone who is spiritually weary, uh, can be restored. The, the save there, that word save, uh, the New American Standard Bible uses the word restore. Most of the instances in the New Testament, it talks about a spiritual salvation, but there is uh, a part of the idea of that word that has the idea of, of restore or be made whole. The Lord will raise him up. Now, unfortunately, we don't have James that we can call or you know, send an email to and say, hey, James, can you just, can you just kind of clarify? Can you give us some insight here? But I want to look at some general principles on either way that we translate this, some general principles that we can learn uh, from this passage. And then as we all have the priesthood of the believer, meaning that your understanding of Scripture doesn't primarily depend on me. As a pastor, I do my best to study. I do my best to to read and to to gather, you know, what I and pray and say, Lord, help me to communicate well. But ultimately, because the Holy Spirit abides within you, then the Holy Spirit, just as he leads me to study and present scripture, the Holy Spirit can give you direction. And I pray that he'll do that in some of these problem passages that we come across in scripture. So let's look at if if the meaning here is a physical sickness, what are some general principles uh, that we should gather from this passage if it is a, a physical sickness? First of all, I want to look at the role of the sick person. Okay, the role of the sick person. James 5 and verse 14, is anyone, anyone among you sick? It says, let him call for the elders of the church. So we see in the passage that it is the responsibility of the sick individual then to call for the pastors, to call for the elders of the church. Kind of a little side note, um, as, as it's presented here, elders, it certainly gives the, the opportunity uh, for churches to have more than one pastor. I wouldn't necessarily say that churches have to have more than one pastor, but I would certainly say there's many examples in the New Testament of churches having a plurality of elders, having a plurality of pastors. And we see that even in the text here. Let him call for the elders of the church. So it's the responsibility of the sick person to call for the elders to pray over him. Now, it seems also that in the context, this is not just a, you know, a Georgia pollen allergy issue. Oh man, pastor, my allergies are just really, you know, getting to me. Can you just... Can you come over? It, it seems in the context here that it may be a, a serious sickness. And perhaps, you know, this is why the sick individual is not gathering, is not going to, you know, where the, the, the other believers are gathering and where the elders would be, but is calling for the pastors or the elders to come to him. That, that could be part of why the, the calling is for them to come to him or her because it may be a serious sickness. It could be that when the passage says in James 5, uh, 14, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Maybe that's another indication that this is, this is pretty serious. There's maybe, maybe bedridden. There's lack of mobility perhaps uh, in the sick person, the sick man or the sick lady where the elders are praying you know, over the individual. The scenario you know, also... Oh, I do want to admit, yeah, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith seems to indicate, too, a serious situation. 
Because if it's just kind of a common cold, if it's a little bit of an allergy, there's not a whole lot of faith in praying for somebody to get well. Because typically, uh, you know, a normal human is going to get over that. But when it talks about the prayer of faith, you know, as we look back in Hebrews and, and what you're not seeing, but you're, but you're, you're exercising faith, well, that could indicate a serious, you know, sickness. I believe also this scenario seems to indicate a person who, who humbly evaluates himself before the Lord. In the passage we see, uh, let's look at James 5, 15 again. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed what? Sins. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says that for to be forgiven of sins that we should do what? If we confess. If we confess. One of the important principles of biblical interpretation is that sometimes as you come across a problem passage, then you take other passages of Scripture that are more clear to understand the problem passage. We do not see in Scripture the teaching that we should... Um, we, we don't see in Scripture that we have to... that you have to confess your sins to me to be forgiven or that I can forgive your sins just randomly. Uh, you know, it, as, a, as a human father, sometimes it'd kind of be nice to think I could just say, God, forgive my children of their sins but I don't have that power. You know, as they confess their sins, then who forgives? God does. And 1 John 1, 9 teaches that. So it appears, it seems to indicate that an individual who, yes, if it means physical sickness, then that could be a physical sickness. And let me say that I think, even if we understand this as physical sickness, I think the term, especially since it's translated as weak or weary, could also include those who are spiritually weak or weary. So I don't think it has to be, you know, if you take the interpretation of physical sickness, I think it's broad enough where it would in include the spiritual weakness as well. But someone would have to evaluate themselves to know, do I have sin, unresolved sin in my life? Because it says, then the prayer of faith of the elders will save him, restore him, make him whole. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So it's someone that should be looking and, you know, do we have any unresolved sin in our life that possibly has brought this sickness on because of God's discipline? Or maybe this, the sickness isn't necessarily because of God's discipline, but during the sickness, I've sinned because of my reactions. I've sinned because I've gotten frustrated at God. I've sinned because I've, I've grown, you know, to a, a point of despair instead of trust. I, I'm, I'm in despair and I'm discouraged and I'm worrying. So someone who calls for the elders is evaluating themselves before, do I have any unresolved sin? Do I have any sinful reaction, you know, while I've been facing the sickness? And we see the promise in James 5, 15, C, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So that's the role of the sick person. Now, what about the role of the elders? 
Let's go back to James 5, 14 again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Not only should the sick person, I believe, evaluate themselves for unresolved sin or for sinful reactions to a sickness, but the elders, the pastors, should evaluate themselves to be ready, spiritually prepared to pray for the sick individual. As we go further in the passage in James 5, jump down to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a what kind of person? Of a righteous person. The prayer of a righteous person. Now, as obvious as this is, but just a reminder, every single pastor in the United States of America and all over the world who's living today is just as much a sinner as any person who's not a pastor and a Christian. In essence, every pastor, every elder has just the same amount of capacity to sin as anyone who is not in the ministry. So elders should also prepare, Lord, you know, as I'm called to pray for this sick individual, God, help me to fulfill really the, the requirements that you've put on me as a pastor, but help me to practice that. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, we won't read the whole passage, but it talks about an overseer or an elder being above reproach. In Titus, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 5, verse 3, it talks about an overseer or an elder serving as an example to the flock. So elders need to evaluate themselves. You know, I'm going to pray, Lord, help me to pee in communion with you. Help my unresolved and unconfessed sins not to be a hindrance to this prayer of faith. And Lord, may I serve and may any other elders that have joined with me serve as righteous men to pray for this sick individual. So that's part of the role of the elders. And then I see that the elders are to pray in faith and in accordance with God's will for healing. The elders are to pray in faith in accordance with God's will for healing. James 5, 14, another element of this says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now let me ask, and don't, this is not, this isn't a trick question. This isn't to make fun of anybody or or anything like that, but just curious. Have any of you been anointed with oil and been prayed for in a specific way for like a physical sickness or a spiritual, maybe even a spiritual weakness uh, or weariness. If anybody, if you can just say, yeah, I have in the past, Pastor, I've, I've had that. Okay, Marco? Okay. It's not very common, is it? Um, I remember growing up, we had a lady in our church and she had MS or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she played the organ in our church. And she did ask, you know, for the pastors of the church uh, to, to anoint her with oil and to pray that, that God would, uh, she would have, you know, seizures from time to time. And so she, she requested that the elders would pray uh, and ask for God if it was his will uh, to, to take those seizures away or give her some reprieve for that. Uh, Susan Donahue was her name, and I remember that. But we have to think, okay, so is, is this, you know, what is the emphasis of this passage? Is this something that as pastors maybe that we've been negligent on? Is this something that as churches that we 
you know, maybe haven't fulfilled all of Scripture. Well, I think as we look at James 5, it says, you know, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. And then what's the last phrase of verse 14, James 5, 14? In the name of the Lord. So I believe the main emphasis here is not necessarily the oil itself. It's not necessarily that the oil itself is going to do something majestic or, or mystic. But this is to be a prayer of faith in the name of the Lord. Now, the only, the closest kind of parallel we have, leave something here in James chapter 5. And uh, go back with me to Mark. Mark chapter 6. closest parallel we have is uh, the 12, Jesus sent out the 12 in Mark chapter 6, and there, it talks about anointing people with oil. Some have interpreted in the past thinking that maybe this oil was uh, a medicinal, you know, medicinal reasons. And in recent years, um, oils have kind of come back into play, it seems, more, you know, more. I couldn't help but laugh, but as I was sick, um, Kim was, she was putting oils all over me. I mean, just, let me put oil on your, she put oregano on my feet. What is oregano going to do to COVID? But, you know, she, if it helped, you know, maybe it'll help. I'm like, you can, I don't care. You can put oregano on my feet. But there's, there's are some oils that seem to help. You know, we, we like to use a breathe oil and it just kind of clears your, but there are oils that are medicinal. So sometimes people, you know, have interpreted this, well, maybe this was a medicinal reason. The pastors and the elders would come and they would, they would rub in. And there's kind of even that idea that maybe you could you know, rub in the oil. But look at Mark chapter 6, the closest parallel that we have, Mark 6 and verse 7. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then jump to verse 12 of Mark 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right, let me ask you. Does it appear that in this passage that the healing was a result of a miraculous working of the Lord through these 12? Or does it appear that the healing was primarily because of a medicinal oil seems to be a miraculous healing so the closest parallel that we have it seems like the anointing with oil is more of a symbolic gesture more of a symbolic way and even in the old testament we see how oil was often used to anoint a leader to consecrate to set aside someone you know holy unto god so I, it appears in James 5, even as we look at Mark, uh, the example in Mark where it was a miraculous healing. It didn't seem like it was the medicinal qualities of any type of oil that was healing the people, but that God was using the 12 he sent out. Gave them authority over the demons. Gave them authority to, to anoint the sick, but then to heal them in a miraculous way. So it seems in James chapter 5, as the elders come and, and pray over the sick individual, anointing with oil seems to be a symbolic way to say, we are, we're setting aside this person, we're consecrating this person wholly to the care of God. So in modern practice, 
I don't have anything against. If somebody were to say, Pastor, uh, I've, I've evaluated my life. I'm, I've looked for any unresolved sin. And I, I would like to ask you to come and to pray over me and anoint me with oil. I wouldn't have any problem with that. I think there's a biblical example here. I would go through this passage and I would emphasize, you know, not all sickness, and we're going to look at this in a minute, not all sickness is related to sin. But it's important that you humbly come before the Lord and you, you seek God's face. And if there is any unresolved sin, that you would resolve that. That you would take care of that before the Lord and confess any unresolved sin. And I'm going to do the same as an elder and as a pastor. I'm going to try to prepare so that I can pray for you as a righteous person. Not any more righteous than anybody else, but as a righteous person. And pray for you in faith that God's will would be done. Our desire as humans is to see healing, but we're going to pray in accordance with God's will. And, and I can, if the person wanted, I, I will certainly anoint you with oil to symbolize we are setting you apart. We're, we're consecrating you wholly to the care of God. Now, I think in modern day, and even we see some of this later in the epistles, in fact, look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy in chapter 4. So James was one of the first epistles that was uh, written, it, it seems, in the early church. Later then, we have other epistles, other letters. Notice with me 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders did what? Laid their hands on you. Jump to 1 Timothy 5, chapter 5. So the very next chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So it, it, it seems that even later in the epistles, as Paul is talking to Timothy, it seems that maybe the practice of laying on of hands became more common than possibly even anointing with oil. So I don't see any, anything wrong with anointing someone with oil as long as we explain this oil is not a miraculous oil that's just going to you know, heal you in a miraculous way, but it's a symbolic you know, gesture to, to wholly consecrate and separate you to God's care. I don't have any problem with that because I think there's biblical example. But I also think that there's nothing wrong with laying our hands on someone. And in that way, communicating, one, our care, our concern, and then in a prayer of faith, not because I have special you know, power coming through my hands. And I think that's, that's important in this passage. It says the prayer of faith, anointing with oil, in the name of who? Of the Lord. It's not in the name of Pastor David. It's not in the name of some, some special healer. It's in the name of the Lord. It's the Lord who will bring about healing and can do that. It's not Pastor David's special ability or somebody else's you know, special ability, but it's in the name of the Lord. So I think in modern day practice, either anointing with oil as the way that I've described or even laying on of hands and, and saying, hey, let's, let's pray. So let me ask you kind of this question. How many of you have had someone, a pastor or someone else, another believer, lay their hands on you or have your hands on, the, on your shoulder and pray for you? If you'd raise your hand. 
a lot more, a lot more. Now, another thing we need to understand, this anointing is not a sacrament. This anointing of oil is not a sacrament. Okay, all right, what's that term? Let's look at a little bit the term sacrament and compared with ordinance. Now, this isn't completely clear because some churches use, um, some even evangelical churches will use the term sacrament and ordinance interchangeably and in a synonymous fashion. But the term sacrament is often used by the Catholic Church, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and even some other Protestant denominations uh, to, you know, for, for other meanings. But especially, the Catholic Church has a, a very specific idea of a sacrament. GotQuestions.org, I felt like, had a very good summary and kind of a, a comparison of these two terms. So I want to read it to you. A sacrament is often thought of as being a means of God's grace. As a worshiper performs a certain religious rite or ritual, he or she receives divine blessing, either for salvation or for sanctification. So that's the common understanding that the Catholic Church would teach. The anointing of, of oil of the sick is one of, I believe, seven um, sacraments that the Catholic Church practices. And the belief is that the oil is not just symbolic, but it, it, it is actually a way to convey, it's a way to bestow divine grace on the individual. Now, an ordinance, listen to this, an ordinance is usually not considered a conduit of grace, but simply a practice commanded to be performed by the Lord. In other words, a sacrament at some level involves a supernatural work of God, that's what many believe, including the Catholics. And then on the other hand, an ordinance is simply an act of man in obedience to God. Some of you may recall as we talk through baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, we refer to them as ordinances. They, they are very special. They're very important. They were commanded by Jesus. Uh, but we don't believe that as we take the Lord's Supper that there is a special grace that, that the bread and the, the, the symbolic wine or grape juice, whatever you use to symbolize Christ's blood, we don't believe that that element itself is going to convey divine grace, is going to bestow divine grace on me. The action of me coming before the Lord, resolving any unresolved sin, looking forward to his return, that's what does the spiritual work in my life. Same thing with baptism. You know, as I look through Rachel and, and Logan's pictures, there, there's a picture of Logan's baptism. And that was an exciting day. Not only for Logan, but it was an exciting day for One Hope Church. But the water that we put in that portable hot tub at Dominion Christian School and heated up the night before, and then when I bonked Logan's head on the side of the, the hot tub, the, the water in the pool didn't have any grace-giving capacity. But in obedience to Christ, we were symbolizing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And the same thing that happens with a man who's dead in his sins, uh, dies to self, and then is raised to newness of life. The Catholic Church uses this passage here in James as the foundation for the belief in this sacrament. Like I said, there's, I believe, seven sacraments that they, they believe in. Um, 
Baptism, confirmation, holy communion, uh, confession, marriage, holy orders. That's like the ordination of, of priests. And then the anointing of the sick. How many of you have heard the term last rites? You've heard the term last rites. Okay, it's a term that is fairly common. Sometimes even in movies, you know, you'll see, um, you know, call the priests and, and they need to come and do last rites. Well, the anointing of the sick is often part of last rites. When, when confession and the Eucharist or Holy Communion are joined with uh, the anointing of the sick, that process is called last rites. For, for many, you know, for a lot of us, and this was my understanding, but it appears that the Catholic Church is trying to kind of revamp the idea a little bit, but it seems to be oftentimes last rites are performed by a priest when somebody is nearing death. That they're, they're nearing death, and the idea is to strengthen the individual, um, to, to make sure all sins are taken care of, and to prepare them for, you know, eternity. Now, from some of the things I read, the Catholic Church says it doesn't have to be, you know, at the end of life. The anointing of the sick can be done at other times. But the importance that I want to draw here is this passage is not to be used as a basis for the understanding that the anointing of the sick is a sacrament. Because we've seen the role of the sick, we've seen the role of the elders, but notice with me the role of Christ as we compare kind of this idea with Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. Grace comes through Christ alone and not rituals. That's why it's important that we pray in faith in the name of the Lord. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states the following. The church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. Now, I bring this up not to, and I hope you understand my spirit, and if, you, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that I have, I've had many Catholic friends in my lifetime. Thankfully, I've been able to see several of those Catholics come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ alone. And that's our prayer. Our goal is not to, to just, you know, land blast all the Catholics and, and, and say, you know, this is foolish, but it's to rightly discern scripture and then hopefully bring those who have a reverence for God in their Catholic faith, many who are very sincere in their Catholic faith, but help them to see the God that you talk about and the, and the Jesus Christ that you talk about, the one of scripture is through Christ alone and help them to study and see these things. But as we, as we look at the role of Christ, grace comes through Christ alone and not rituals. We've also pointed out, but just to reinforce, healing is only possible through Christ's power. Healing is only possible through Christ's power. So there's nothing unbiblical with anointing someone with oil, with laying on of hands, with with praying in faith. In fact, there's biblical precedent for that. But healing is going to come through the power of Christ. 
Look, let's look at that next. Then the promise of healing of James 5 and verse 15. The promise of healing. Still in, in the understanding and the interpretation um, of some who would think that this is a physical sickness. You know, what do you do then with the promise of James 5.15? The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Once again, as we look at difficult passages, then we need to look at all of Scripture and take the, the clear teachings of Scripture to help us understand less clear passages. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. I, I believe the passages that we're going to look at will help us to understand that here in James, this is not a universal promise of healing. This isn't just a blanket promise of healing for everybody because consider these other passages, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to do what? Oh. So the Bible says it's appointed for man to die once. Just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Okay, let me ask you this. In 2022, what has been the percentage of death for humans past the age of 130 in the last several centuries? What has been the percentage, the death rate of any humans, you know, up to 130? What's been the, the death rate? 100%. 100%. We're, you know, recently, we've, the last two years, we've been all about percentages, right? You've, you've seen them all. You've seen the graphs. You've seen the stats. And I mean, it's all over the map. But nobody can argue. There's been a 100% mortality rate as humans get up in years. So in truthfulness, we could all say in a way, I'm dying. Right? I am. I'm dying. Unless Christ comes back and it's, his return is imminent, means it can happen at any time. But unless Christ comes back, there's going to, Hebrews tells me, there's going to come a point in my life where I will die physically. So there's 100% mortality rate. So if you take that promise to the extreme, then it would almost be, well, call the elders and pray and the, the prayer of faith will save the sick, well, at some point, it, it won't because death is inevitable. But we also see, let's look at it, the Apostle Paul in sickness, 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. 2 Timothy 4, 20. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I, Paul, left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Was Paul a man of faith? Oh my goodness. Was Paul greatly used of God? Could, could Paul have, I mean, is there a possibility that Paul prayed in faith for Trophimus to, to be well and to, to try? It could be. But there's a time when there's no doubt because Paul even tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 9, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know for sure if it was a physical ailment, but it very well could have been. 
in 2 Corinthians. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So this, I believe, as we look at other passages of Scripture that are very clear, I I don't believe that this can be taken as a universal promise of healing. But I think this promise should be and can be understood in light of God's sovereignty and his eternal plan of redemption. Look with me in Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Would it be easy to take that verse and just, and just run away with it and, and really take it out of context? Yeah, uh, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. God, I am delighting in you and I want a million dollars this afternoon. I mean, that, that, that would just make me delight in you so much more. I will delight all day long, even all week, all month. Well, that's not quite the idea. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Notice verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. We can be sure that God will act according to his will. Verse 18 of Psalm 37, the Lord knows the, day, the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Can the steps of a sick man or a sick woman be established by the Lord? What do you think? Yes? God can can take a very weak physical person, a very physically weak person and establish their steps give them rootedness in, his, in the gospel and in his comfort and his love and that person can have peace and be greatly used even as they're sick. The steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Notice verse 24, though he, what does it say? Fall. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. No matter what we face, no matter what sickness we, we come, no, no matter if one day the, the doctor looks at us and says the C word, not COVID, but says, hey, you have cancer. No matter what we may hear, we can know God can establish our steps. And I'm not going to fall headlong. In essence, I, I, I'm not to a point of despair. It may look really bleak for me here on earth, but that's just part of the eternal plan of redemption that God has for me. Then notice verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved, how long? Forever. They're preserved forever. Yeah, it's very possible that there will be a tombstone one day that says David Christopher Huffman, June 7th, 1976, dash, and then a date. It's very possible. If Christ doesn't come back, it's inevitable. But yet this promise in Psalm 37 says, the Lord's gonna preserve me forever. Because even though this carcass of a body will eventually die, my soul will be in eternity with him. 
For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Another truth that helps us understand this promise in James 5 is 1 John 5, 14 and 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. There's an important phrase in that passage. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So in James, as the prayer of faith is made, there needs to be a larger and a broader understanding that yes, we can pray in faith and in expectancy and in hope that the person will be physically healed, but yet understand that God in his sovereignty and eternal plan of redemption has maybe a more perfect will for that person and that he would receive the glory whether the person is restored physically, temporarily, or restored forever, spiritually, in the eternal plan of redemption. Even as we think about Christ's prayer, you know, shortly before the cross, it helps us, I believe, and understand the promise in James. Matthew 26, verse 39 through 42. Matthew 26, 39 through 42. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as who? You will. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Kim related to me a, someone who she's been following on Facebook and, and knows um, you know, through some mutual friends and the, the daughter, I believe it's a teenage daughter, is dying of cancer. And the teenage daughter recently told her mom, said, mom, I'm ready. I'm ready to go and just pray that God will take me. And the mom related in the social media post and said, you know, that is very difficult for me to pray as a mom. But I am praying that God's will will be done. Whether it's to restore miraculously my daughter or to take her as part of his eternal plan of redemption, that's basically what Jesus prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. James 5, 15b, we see the promise. The Lord will raise him up. This possibly could be both a physical and a spiritual application. Certainly in God's power, he can heal. But even when physical healing doesn't happen, we know that as part of his eternal plan of redemption that the Lord will raise every believer up. And we have that blessed hope. We'll continue this next, next week, Lord willing. We've run out of time. But there's a lot in this passage. I hope it's kind of whet your appetite to, to study more and pray that God would give you wisdom as we try to discern his word. Lord, we're so thankful.